0: Last week, Brother Brad Batdorf introduced us to this book that we're surveying for several weeks, Respectable Sins, Confronting the Sins We Tolerate, by Jerry Bridges. Brad introduced us to the definition and consequences of sin, how wide sin's birth is. I I think it was this morning in our community group, there was a mention of how we tend to tell ourselves that this sin will only affect me. And if I choose to do it, then I'll I'll deal with the consequences, and that's not true. Sin affects a lot of people. And then Brad introduces to the idea of respectable sins, the the title of this book. Uh, Ones that we don't consider as heinous in our Christian circles, but still are are transgressions of the law. Bridges Bridges says in his opening chapter uh, to the book, he says, Sure, I'd rather be guilty of just a lustful thought toward a woman than actually committing adultery with a woman. I'd, ra- I'd rather uh, I'd rather be angry with someone than to actually kill them, but all of these things are sin. They all transgress the law of God. and And the the point of this book is that we we want to increase our hatred for all sin because it all falls short of the glory of God. It, they're all violations of God's holiness. So tonight, um, I'm gonna. We're still in the introductory stages. Uh, and kind of setting the table, and then whoever speaks next Sunday night is going to take the first respectable sin. I think there's 14 that Brother Bridges identifies in the book, and so whoever speaks next Sunday night will, will begin that list. I'm going to deal with just three big ideas tonight, and the first big idea is that there is a remedy for sin. So what do you suppose that remedy is? Well, John Newton said, I'm a great sinner, but I have a great savior. Bridges says the remedy for sin, whether it's scandalous sin or acceptable sin, is what do you suppose he says? The gospel. The gospel in its widest scope. The gospel is that remedy in that it prepares me to see my, skin, my sin, to face it. Bridges notes that the gospel is only for sinful people. Christ in the New Testament said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The gospel is for people who feel this desperate need for salvation from the wrath of God that they deserve. So the gospel helps to prepare me to see my sin. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy to his younger friend, he said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. The gospel is also for believers who sense a desperate need to grow to overcome recurring sin. In a later letter to Timothy, Paul wrote, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness. So the gospel prepares me to see my sin and to face it. I don't recall who said this. It was some time ago. It might have been in a book that I read or it might have been in a good sermon I heard. But the statement of this writer or speaker was something like this. Uh, He he said, spiritual blindness is so much more dangerous than physical blindness. Because with physical blindness, you're painfully aware of your limitations and you can confront it. You You can try to cope with it. But with spiritual blindness, we're not aware of our sin and so we're not dealing with the damage that it's doing spiritual blindness. The gospel helps us to see our sin. The Christian school I attended as an elementary school boy in Indianapolis employed a blind uh, high school teacher, an English teacher. His name was Mr. McDermott. And I still, I don't have many images of Mr. McDermott, but I remember whatever grade I was, we were small in stature, and we would maybe be on a break for a restroom break, or maybe we were coming back to our classroom from uh, recess outdoors. And if we were in the hallway and Mr. McDermott was coming down the hall, our teacher would, she'd, oh, she'd gesture that we'd all get, it was, it's a little humorous to think back on now because Mr. McDermott had the whole hall and there was nothing in the hall. It was pretty, pretty uh, I can't remember, it was pretty stark. They, they, they didn't have a school decorator. So, but we would all move toward the wall. I can remember seeing our teacher gesture us toward the wall. We'd all move over, and then all of us would stand, and I was among them. We would stand in absolute silence and in awe, and we would stare at Mr. McDermott. I I don't know if he could sense in his blindness that 25 fourth graders were staring at him, but he would make his way down the hall using his white cane, Tapping his way. That's part of why I didn't understand why our teacher had us move over to the wall. Because I thought, well, if he comes up to us and taps one of our legs, he'll know. You know. <laughs> he'll know how much of the hall is his. <laughs> but Mr. McDermott, I can remember just watching him in awe. And then he would get to where our class was. And he could sense that there were 25 little humans and one, you know, one adult human there. And he would greet us. Well, Hello. And we go, hello, Mr. McDermott, and just in awe of this guy who was blind. So I have three older sisters, and one of my older sisters took English from him. And she said he claimed that he could sense by the air currents in the classroom whether students were out of their seats or not, or whether someone was messing with a window. Uh, she said, I wrote more papers for him uh, at that point up in my high school career than I had for any other teacher. And what he would do is he would take the papers, he'd have a student helper, read the papers to him, including the punctuation, and then he would tell the student helper how to mark those papers. My sister said, it seemed to me that he was capable of anything. And yet, spiritual blindness, that's powerful, but that's physical blindness. And in a way, you can manage that. Spiritual blindness, you don't even know what to address. The things that other people may even see in you and things certainly that God knows of you, you need, we need God to show us. And the gospel does that for us. It, it helps us to see our sin and face our sin. The gospel helps us in that it frees us up to, to see our sin and to face it. That is that it frees us from the guilt that we feel. Romans 8, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? If we still feel guilty over our sin in the sense that it's not been dealt with positionally, then we'll avoid facing our sin to to work on it, to, to limit it, to become more holy in our way of life. But the author of Romans also wrote that there's great happiness for the one who remembers that God has imputed the righteousness of his dear son to our account, and that when God looks at us, he sees that righteousness Romans 4, 7, and 8, blessed are those, happy are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. The gospel frees me up to work on my sin patterns. The gospel is the remedy because it motivates me to face my sin. The confidence that God no longer counts my sin against me should encourage me that God is for me. And in fact, in Romans 8, we're told that we're not alone in our battle with sin. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who would lay anything to the charge of God's elect? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It's God who justifies. So sin, So the gospel motivates us to face our sin. So the first big idea is that the gospel is the remedy for our sin. Second big idea tonight is, is the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't forget the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells you when you are discouraged about something and you, and you feel convicted about the need to make some change. It seems like when we're convicted of something in our Christian walk, our default is to determine to do better, to work on that something. And it's just our self-discipline or our willpower that we engage to fight sin. And yet we're assured by scripture that we have the supernatural help of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. There are a few sermons that I listen to repeatedly, just over and over, because because they have been so helpful to me. And I just, something about the, the time when I heard them, I was alert and I connected. And one of those sermons that helps me with some foundational truth. It was a sermon that Pastor Mark Minnick preached in 2011. It was in a BJU chapel. He was asked to speak on the topic of sin. I don't know if it was actually, if his title, sermon title was given to him, but he entitled his sermon, Addiction Proofing Your Soul. Addiction Proofing Your Soul. And in this message, he emphasized how powerful a relationship with the Holy Spirit can be in battling sin. He he brought uh, to us the Galatians 5, where scripture says, if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And he talked about the reality of polarity. In life. Now some of you who teach science understand this way better than I do, but I know this. Some things are opposite and they can't both occur at the same time. So for instance, geographically, if I want to go to the North Pole, fine. Is, is the North Pole where the remains of the Endurance are? You know, the ship that... I think it's the North Pole. South? Well, if I go to the North Pole, I cannot be at the same time at the South Pole. It's geographically impossible. If I have two strong magnets and then I want to drive them towards each other, but, they, but I'm pushing their, those polarities against each other... I can't get them to stay together. Now, maybe mechanically it's possible to, to just bind them together, and I'm not sure what happens then. But, but I can't get those two polarities to stay together. They're opposites. They're, they're totally uh, opposed to one another. And so, too, walking in the spirit is the exact opposite of walking in the flesh, and so if we, if we would only engage the, the sweet privilege that we have of a relationship with this person of the Trinity in our battle with sin, we'd experience a, a power that otherwise we know nothing of. Minnick says in this sermon, he says, there's a verse embedded in the fifth chapter of Galatians that contains the single most critical necessity to preventing addiction. Without this, there's no possibility of success. But what is really encouraging is that with this, there's not any possibility of failure. Galatians 5. He goes on to say, walking in the Spirit involves our response to so many promptings from the Holy Spirit in a given day. Holy Spirit prompts us in the morning. It's time to get up. Don't, don't hit your snooze. It's time to get up and get in the Word. Okay, I will. It's time to leave for work, so you'll be on time. Yes, Lord, you're right. Tonight, why don't you not not watch TV tonight? You got more important things to do. Don't waste your time with TV. Yes, Lord, you ought to apologize to so and so at work this week because you were really in the flesh, and you probably left a fence. Yes, Lord, you ought to speak of Christ to this person. I will. You ought to give to this effort, this offering. I will. Holy Spirit prompting us. A second sermon preached by Pastor Minnick is, is kind of a good friend of the first sermon. I, I usually listen to a sermon on Saturday mornings when I take my trash to the transfer station because I'm too chintzy to pay for curb pickup. <laughs> and it was actually from someone in Subaru in our church that I learned that you could take your trash to a transfer station for free. So I listen to a sermon... And uh, a second sermon preached four years later in the fall of 2015, great companion to this first sermon, Addiction Proofing Your Soul. They're not, they weren't intended to go together, but uh, they're, they're compatible and helpful. Some of the material is repeated, and the second sermon is entitled, The Flesh, The Enemy Within. Both of them are on sermon audio, they're about 30 minutes long, very helpful. And if, if you're interested and you don't remember the title, just uh, simple church me and I'll send you links to those sermons. They'd be a great encouragement to you. So the Holy Spirit helps us to face our sin, and Bridges suggests it does. the Holy Spirit does so in two ways, two dimensions. Helps us to face sin in its reigning power. That is, when we, are, when we need salvation, sin reigns in us, and we're, we are under the control of the devil. Salvation can take care of that. And then from its remaining power, that is, a believer who still has the power of a, a, a terrible flesh, a gnarly flesh that still wants to do evil. And Paul spoke of that struggle. Some people, you know, not all believers think that that's an accurate representation of, of Scripture, but Paul sure seemed to think it was. Talked about the wanting to do good and he couldn't get himself to do it, and then um, not wanting, and wanting to avoid evil, but he, he just couldn't keep himself from it. So we sing a Rock of Ages. Augustus Toplady's text describes this kind of work of the Spirit. Let the water and the blood from thy riven or wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Well, what's the double cure? Well, it's to cleanse us from guilt, that is its reigning power, and then cleanse us from its guilt and power is the hymn text word, its remaining power, the power of remaining power, of remaining sin in us, power of our flesh. So how does the Holy Spirit do this in us? Well, he brings conviction to us. Again, 2 Timothy 3, through the word, 2 Timothy 3, the word is profitable for correction. If, if your heart is, Lord, I want you to correct me. I, I want to know uh, a path of purity in my life, and I want to live a life of fruit for you. The Lord will do that for us through the Holy Spirit. He enables us or empowers us to fight. Romans eight thirteen. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. The old gospel song says to fight manfully onward. I like that. Fight manfully onward. Dark passions subdue. Look ever to Jesus and he will carry you through. Holy Spirit helps us or empowers us to fight. Holy Spirit brings circumstances to our lives which conform us or are used of the Lord to help conform us to his image they're not always things that we like are they but they're things that always always are intended for our good and for God's glory the the good of Romans eight twenty eight, all things work together for good isn't that great everything in life for a Christian just ends up so neat and tidy and happy and gift wrapped no the good is in verse 29 That those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And so all things, all circumstances, everything the Holy Spirit brings to us can be used of God through the power of the Holy Spirit to conform us to the image of Christ. And what a great thing that would be. You end your life, would you rather be a a much closer replica of Christ? Or would you prefer that you had avoided all trouble, all pain, Paul's imprisonments? So the Holy Spirit brings circumstances to our lives. So the first big idea, what's the first big idea? Can anyone say it? I'm a teacher. The gospel is the remedy remedy for our sin. And the second big idea? The power of the Holy Spirit. Don't overlook the power of the Holy Spirit, who is God. He's He's a person of the Godhead. And then the third big idea is, that Bridges gives us a list of directions on how to work with the Holy Spirit in confronting our sins. And he suggests first, he says again, this we covered this in the first big idea, but he says, fight your sin in the context of the gospel. Keeping in mind that God through Jesus' death has released us from guilt. Colossians 2, and 14. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. That is, he set aside this nailing to the cross. What, it, what was the debt? What was, what was the, uh, being demanded of us? God's wrath was being demanded of us because of our sinfulness. And yet God satisfied that through Christ. And so the gospel, fight your sin in context of the gospel. Fight your sin relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. We covered this in the second big idea, but uh, Brother Bridges suggests again, Romans eight thirteen. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Spiritually, you'll be alive. You'll be fruitful. Fight sin recognizing our responsibility. Those of you who've read Bridges' book, Disciplines of Grace, uh, you remember he has in there the illustration of an airplane. And he talks about how on an airplane, there are two main wings and both are pretty important. It's best to fly with both. And he suggests in that book uh, that those two wings, if they are symbolizing the Christian life, that they represent discipline and dependence. Now you notice in Respectable Sins, which came out a year after, if I, if I followed the dates right, Disciplines of Grace was a culmination of... Two previous books of Brother Bridges, um, Pursuit of Holiness and Transforming Grace. And uh, it, I think if what I was seeing online, if I followed it, it, that culminated in 2006 in Disciplines of Grace. So a lot of, a lot of his former work with a little shift in emphasis. He was very humble about some feedback he got from other Christian brothers, a little shift in emphasis, Disciplines of Grace in 2006. 2007, Respectable Sins. And I don't know why he changed the words, but if you were reading along with these evening Sunday evening summaries, you'd see that in, in uh, Respectable Sins, he uses the words responsibility and dependence. I think it's the same line of thought. But his point is that we're responsible, we are responsible to work with God by our choices, by our disciplines, but that ultimately God has to affect the changes in our lives. Effect, bring about the change in our lives. And we're dependent on him to do that. And, and thus we have this beautiful, it's a tension. It's not a contradiction, it's a tension. In Philippians 2, 11 and 12, where Paul writes to his friends at the church at Philippi, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Next verse, for it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. There's this beautiful Tension of ideas. God has to bring the change, but God expects us to work with him in that change. In disciplines of grace, discipline and dependence. Respectable sins, responsibility and dependence. I think it's the same idea. We're to fight sin by identifying specific acceptable sins that perhaps we're guilty of. Perhaps we could just add this kind of earnestness to our prayer. Not just a general and, and maybe too lighthearted expression in our prayer of now, and now forgive us of all our sins, Lord. But maybe we could be a little more um, earnest by saying, Lord, I, I welcome your correction. I want you to show me where I'm blind to sin, to things that maybe other people are seeing in me that I don't see in myself. And so, Lord, would you, would you bring to mind specific acceptable sins? We're to fight sin by applying scripture to our sin. In Psalm one nineteen eleven, when David says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. He's saying, I've stored up in my heart or my life or my soul. I've stored up or I've laid up for later need, for a future need so that when we're faced with temptation, we can easily bring scripture into the struggle as a weapon. And in in fact, and in inversely, when we come to a time of great trial, but we've been making no effort to, to be consumers of the scripture, then how could we be surprised that we're powerless against that sin? They work together. And and David's saying, I have stored these up for a troubling time. It occurred to me this afternoon that that all of the college young people that are among us now that we love so much, they don't remember firsthand. They don't remember Y2K. Y2K. Even our young marrieds were probably too small to really care and be burdened about Y2K. But but in short, a lot of very smart people thought that the world was going to come unglued at the change of the century because the computers weren't prepared for that, I think. I'm not a computer guy. I use one. But I think is that computers were not prepared for that transition and that like the power grid was going to shut down and the food supply would be ruined and all these things and so people stored up stored up supply and I'm not mocking that Jen and I didn't do that I'm not sure we really I don't know we're just simple we're both youngest but we we didn't really put we didn't put bottled water in our crawl space or anything like that but people did And the turn of the century came 2000. Was it 99 to 2000 or 2000 to 2001? 99 to 2000. The century and Times Square did did its thing and we were all fine. (laughs) But David said he stores up scripture so that at a time of fierce temptation he can say no to it. You you have to believe that Joseph had stored up what, what little he had of the Bible. He, he had stored that up. He knew the Hebrew scriptures and was prepared for Potiphar's wife. You just have to imagine that. Uh, it's conjecture, but it seems, seems like he, he had prepared his heart. Apply scripture to our sin. We're to pray over our sin. It's through prayer that we acknowledge our need of the Holy Spirit and we acknowledge the presence of the very sin patterns that we need to fight. We need to pray over our sin. And then... This is familiar to us here at Subaru Road, but that Bridges suggests that we involve another believer, believer in the battle. Solomon wrote that two people walking together are better than one because if one stumbles and falls down, the friend can extend a hand and help that person up, and they go on together. Two are better than one, for if the one falls, the other can help the other get back up. And, and I would assert, again, that accountability for most things ought to start in the church and it's a blessing from our lord for those who can humble themselves to pursue it for help it might be in the area of moral purity but it might be in the area of eating habits it might be in the area of your financial stewardship be all sorts of things but to involve another believer so we close again what were our three big ideas what was the first big idea The gospel is the remedy for our sin. And the second? We have we have the Holy Spirit's power to help us battle sin. The power of the Holy Spirit. And the third and final? We have these directions from Jerry Bridges on how to pair up with the Holy Spirit in battling our sin. There they are. Three big ideas tonight. May the Lord make these things helpful to us. Let's have a word of prayer over them. Lord, we do pray that you'd use the the practical and theological sense of this dear brother who's with you already, Lord. We don't know how these things work, but if you can say thanks to him for, from the congregation at Suba Road, we would ask that. And we pray that you'd push these truths into our hearts so that we would be fruitful and we would grow in our hatred for sin, that we would be more like you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.